This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco and Josh Bagrianski here. We are the Mouths of the South. No Eric this week. He's on a beach uh, sipping a Mai Tai or a Colada or something somewhere. So, um, Mazel Tov to you, Eric. Enjoy your vacation. But uh, we've got plenty of business to get to here on this week's episode of the Mouths of the South, uh, including some Atlanta United action on the field, uh, a great article uh, about Frank DeBoer that I think uh, should open a lot of eyes about Atlanta United's manager if uh, people actually sit down and read the article. And uh, we'll talk a little U.S. men's national team on the back end and how the Gold Cup, uh, quite frankly, doesn't really look like it's going to impact Atlanta United all that much. So, uh, Josh, how how are you on on this fine uh, Wednesday that we are recording this podcast? Well, I'm pretty good. I don't know why Eric gets to go to the beach, though. I I, I mean, uh, we're here. We're here to do the work, and and he's – you said he's he's sipping a adult beverage of some kind. I mean, what's 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 the reasoning here? Yeah, that's just an assumption I'm making. I mean, for for all we know, he's not doing that, but uh, I, I would be. That's why I put one in his hand, so to speak, in terms of a beverage, because that's exactly what I would be doing. And Josh, you'd be lying if you said it isn't what you would I be just, doing as well. I just think Eric is too essential to be taking weeks off like this. I know the people agree with me. Well, some people would agree with you. We kid, we kid. <laughs> Uh, but uh, why don't we get to the business at hand, Josh? And uh, we'll start with the Atlanta United uh, victory against Chicago, their most recent victory. They also had one before that. Uh, we haven't recorded an episode since the uh, Atlanta United 3-0 win over Minnesota. But Joseph Martinez returning to goal-scoring form here. Obviously, that's going to be good for Atlanta United. He scored four goals now in his last two games Uh, the two goals he scored against Minnesota United very much uh, in the end of the game where Minnesota probably got caught out more than they would have normally because they were trying to get something out of that game it only being one nil and then uh, the win over Chicago Joseph Martinez uh, getting two very nice goals uh, including the the one where he stayed on side so brilliantly and Pitti Martinez found him uh, for that goal. But but overall, I mean, heading into this Gold Cup break, Josh, I think Atlanta United should be feeling pretty good about things, especially the fact that they're only one point out of first place in the East, and they have a, multiple games in hand on some teams and then a game in hand on others. Well, you're definitely in a better place uh, than you were after the two losses on the road that we saw. But I, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Sam. It's all about Joseph Martinez. When he scores goals, I think you kind of saw an Atlanta United team that's maybe not as good as some are saying now, not as bad as some are saying earlier. But what's getting you over the top right now is Joseph Martinez scoring goals while the rest comes together. So it's an important Gold Cup break. Obviously, you're going to get some time off, or at least most of the guys are. Uh, and Hopefully you can come back in playing a little bit better. In the meantime, I think you look back on this, what was it, seven matches in uh, 27 days or something like that. You look you look back on this stretch 
and it's, it's a successful one. You take five of seven. Still, though, I think some things you really need to work on improving in terms of dominating, controlling the tempo of the game the way Frank DeBoer wants. Oh, I absolutely agree with you there. And, and we'll definitely dive more in to Frank DeBoer uh, coming up on this edition of the Mouths of the South podcast because uh, a great article uh, written about Frank by Lander uh, Sherlockins uh, of uh, Yahoo Sports. And, and that's definitely something we want to get to here in a little bit. But I, I wanted to get your thoughts really on the performance against Chicago. And you talked about how not really bossing things like they would like, but you come away with a 2-0 win and, and, and you got to feel good about that. But yeah. maybe dive in a little deeper here and, and explain yeah. your not always as good as they seem, not always as bad as they seem philosophy. Yeah, it's funny to, you know, to uh, look at some of how, how high and low the takes get, you know, whether it be on Twitter or in the, in the MLS media, you know, as well. I mean, it's I think if you if you look at the team throughout the season, at the sum of its parts, it's, it's been getting better but you're not where you want to be yet. And if you look at the Chicago get match, that first half is pretty even. And, and there are, you know, Alexander Ring, or Alexander Ring, Alexander Katai had a big chance. Uh, Calvo missed a big chance off the set piece that was more or less a sitter. So it could have been a very different match at the half. And in fact, the first Joseph Martinez goal comes directly off of a big miss from Katai. So it, it's not a, yes, you go into the half up 2-0 and you're able to kind of cruise through the second half. But a few breaks don't go your way, and I think it's a different type of match. And so when I talk about Frank DeVore says he wants to dominate the tempo of matches, he wants to control the match more than perhaps the team did under Tata Martino, what I think he means is you're not conceding those, simply put, you're not conceding those types of opportunities. And certainly if Chicago had buried one or two of those, we might be having a really different discussion today. Yeah, I would definitely agree there. And I think when you look at this team, uh, in these results recently, and now you look at the long break that they're going to have thanks to this Gold Cup, uh, what would you say are some things that, that maybe they should work on in terms of uh, getting to where Frank DeBoer wants them to be? Because I looked at that first half against Chicago, and, and again, I would agree with you that at times it wasn't this you know completely dominate the possession type performance, but uh, this was more of a, an Atlanta United performance that I think some of the the you know the people that have been watching this team play their their whole uh, you know tenure as a team in this league. It's kind of one that reminded you sort of of a, a Tata Martino performance. And uh, again, I, I keep uh, I, ha I hate to keep referencing the article before we talk about it, but one of the things that uh, Frank DeBoer talks about is how things were different under Tata and him and sort of the sustainability of things. And I think that, you know, Joseph, obviously predatory goal scorer that he is scored two very strikers goals. Uh, one of them, just a, a bad turnover there yeah. for the second, but it was much more of a Joseph Martinez type thing. So overall, this performance might not alarm some fans, at least in terms of how Atlanta United's played in the past, but how they want to play going forward under Frank DeBoer. Why was this kind of that because, performance for you? Be, yeah, because I think, you know, Joseph Martinez is going to score goals, but as we saw last season, and as well, you know, you'll see in any league around the world, you can't 
win the league on, on one guy's back. And I think the big, if you look deeper into it in terms of what's preventing Atlanta from controlling the match the way they want, they're just not creating enough chances on a consistent basis yet. And I think that's a big reason that you see some of, and it's not defensive instability because the defense has been very, very good all season. But when you still see chances like that conceded, I think a big part of it is not having a lot of confidence that you're going to create and dominate on the other end. Whereas you may have a lot of the ball at times, so that this wasn't the case against Chicago. How often did Atlanta United really look dangerous? They did at times, but again, are you creating enough chances match to match to really control the tempo, dominate, force a team to defend deep in their own half so they can't get out? Clearly, you haven't reached that point yet because you are still conceding those opportunities in the run of play. And then, of course, I think a big part of it also is set-piece defending. Uh, if you wanted to point to something else, something that had improved in recent weeks, but as I mentioned, that absolute sitter uh, from Calvo, where Atlanta United totally blows the marking inside the uh, inside the six-yard box. So I think you're looking at a few different things in terms of how can the team specifically get better. But in the meantime, thank goodness you have Joseph Martinez, who just has the individual quality, the uh, ability to to find goals from nothing to kind of get you over the top and record-wise still look like you're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. But I, I'm not sure what you'd look at, Sam, but that's what I'm looking at. I think offensively, you got to create more chances, certainly with Barco coming back uh, and PT hopefully starting to round into form a bit here over the last couple matches. That'll come. And the defender better on set pieces. I'm not sure if there's anything else you see uh, that needs to improve in the long run for this team to, to reach its goals. Uh, you know, I think more than anything with this team right now, and I totally agree, you know, Joseph kind of puts the team on his back these last two games, uh, getting those four goals. And uh, I know that the ones against Minnesota were in garbage time, but at the same time, you know, you still need to put those opportunities in the back of the net. And and, and Joseph had started to look frustrated yeah. uh, throughout, you know, some of the, the run here. Even when they were winning games, he wasn't necessarily scoring. And I think these past two games, you, you saw that sort of break open a little bit and Joseph finally get back to doing what he does well. And, and when I said earlier that these were really strikers' goals, I mean, uh, Joseph did such a great job of staying onside for the first goal against Chicago because the, the play was ever inching forward and he does a good job to stay level with the last defenders. And then Pitti, uh, who I want to get to in a second, uh, I think he does a great job finding Joseph. And it, it, it was a very much a Frank DeBoer system type goal in the sense of being patient and waiting for the exact right opportunity. Because once Joseph got the ball in the position that he did, there was no doubt that he was going to score. And then, yeah. you know, for the second it, goal, that's just that's Joseph. Util- yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's Joseph utilizing his speed when he sees an error. And, and I would say right now that I don't think there's a better striker in the world right now than Joseph Martinez in 1v1 situations with a goalkeeper. It just seems like every single time he gets into one, or at least the vast majority of the time, he's going to convert that. And that's not something where I, you know, it, it matters what league you're at necessarily because those 1v1s with a keeper, that's more about just having the mentality of I'm going to win this and I know how to get the one-ups on this guy. And Joseph just does such a great job in that situation. And I think that's one where, you know, all four of the goals, really, he had to be like that. Yeah, and especially because the team was giving you an imbalanced performance as well. I don't know that I would agree that Joseph Martinez is the best striker 1v1 with a goal. I said one of them. The I world. didn't say the best. I said <laughs> he's in the discussion. I mean, I, I, would, I would say he has the benefit of going up against some, some of these MLS goalkeepers. But I would... 
to, to, to your overall point, I think Joseph Martinez has proven this year he's actually a little underrated. You know, we kind of saw him as this amazing goal scorer who found his way into, you know, these dangerous areas all the time, even though the other team knew what he was going to try to do over the last couple seasons. Under Frank DeBoer, he's shown a much more expansive part of his game that I think we always kind of knew was there. Uh, and you could see it in flashes, but it just wasn't really so much how Tata Martino used him. And now you're seeing Joseph Martinez's ability to drop and combine with his teammates, create lots of chances. He's actually a pretty uh, – he's not a target guy, but he's actually pretty good at hold-up play with his back to goal. He's a complete soccer player. He's not just a poaching goal scorer. And I thought that second goal really showed that, where he was able to use his strength to turn Calvo and then accelerate away, like you mentioned, from midfield. Mind you, I mean that, that you have to take two or three perfect touches. That's very difficult to do to, to set that up and then slot it home. I mean, Joseph Martinez is so much more, I think, than which is amazing because we were talking about him as the best goal scorer in MLS history uh, last season, and he's still in that discussion. But he's so much more than that, and he's really shown that this season. I thought that goal embodied that in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely, uh, for sure. And and I think you know you mentioned. And we were both talking about this in terms of the the run up to the goal with with Pitsy Martinez. I think obviously he continues to be playing under much more of a microscope than than most of the players on this team. And while he definitely had his struggles against Chicago, I think that you know the the assist for Joseph Martinez's goal I think just shows the class that he has in his ability to sort of hold the ball and He's wait better. for the play to develop around him. Yeah, and if you look at he has a couple of big moments where he gets the ball into his left foot and works the goalkeeper as well. So we're starting to see PT hopefully come into his own. And my thought with him is that Ezekiel Barco's return will help him so, so much because I thought Barco kind of went to the U-20 World Cup at a time where PT was kind of beginning to find his form, find his role in the team. And then when Barco goes, that changes so much about the way that Atlanta United play. So I thought then there was another adjustment of period for him in some ways where he was getting, you know, he we were feeding him. He was getting a ton of touches on the ball, and it wasn't coming off for him as much as you would like. I think with Barco coming back, you have another guy that can hold the ball and draw defenders in and take some of the pressure off P.T. Martinez because I think it's looking more and more like is. Ezekiel Barco needs to be that player who dominates the ball for Atlanta United, and P.T. Martinez is more of a player that gets onto the ball in dangerous areas as more of a traditional winger would where he could run at the defense. And that's how we saw him start to look dangerous in this match, where he, like I said, cuts inside two times, really two really good left-footed strikes. And the assist on the goal, you you touched on it pretty well, man. I mean, the, the timing of it, the way he slips Joseph through, I mean, and, and Joseph not going to miss from there. That, that was a special moment for P.T. Martinez. Oh, absolutely. I think that was one that was one that had been building up for a long time. And when you see that, you see exactly the danger that a player like that can bring into a team like this. And I also think that, you know, moving him to the wing, we've seen with Barco being out, I think the, the original thought was, well, we're just going to put P.T. there and, and kind of force his hand and, and hopefully he can develop into that player in the middle. But 
we've seen with the moving of Gressel to the yeah, yeah. middle and, and, and putting uh, Martinez out wide that Atlanta United is getting ready for Barco to come back because it's looking like, yeah, Barco is going to be that player that's sort of where Gressel is now. And I think one thing we've seen too in this uh, Barco being gone is the emergence of Dion Pereira and a player that has some skill and a player that can just add to that yeah. depth out wide for Atlanta United. I think obviously when Barco comes back, your first choice would probably still be an attacking quadrant of, you know, Joseph, Pitti, Barco, and Gressel, and, and Vijalbo works in there too. But to have a Dion Pereira as an option, I think is certainly uh, shown that Atlanta United maybe has more depth, especially when you hear uh, talk of from Frank DeBoer about going out and signing uh, another player in the transfer window to, to maybe even add more depth at, at maybe one of the defensive positions that you may have thought about adding more to your attack, but then you see a Dion Pereira and you're like, whoa, maybe we can spend money somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, sometimes missing a player for particularly an early part, earlier part of the season like this can can turn out to be a benefit. And in this case, you've kind of unearthed uh, a player in Dion Pereira that started the season playing with the twos. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't get this opportunity most likely to get these minutes unless, unless Barco goes. One of the things I've really been impressed with him is just, he, he's very, a very confident one V one player, but he's a different one V one player than coming off the bench. Uh, assuming he's coming off the bench later in the season than say a Tito Vijalba, who's more going to run at you with pace, try to knock the ball around you. PT Martinez, Barco, a little bit of both. Dion Pereira is a little more technical. He likes to keep the ball close to his body because he's not super fast. Right. So, but, but he's technical. He completed what? Seven dribbles, uh, in that match against Minnesota, plays a good ball into the box. So not only has he shown, I think, that he can play, I think also it's nice to have a winger that brings something different and to just get even you know deeper in a position where you already have a lot of talent. Uh, so it will be it'll be interesting to see with uh, when Copa America comes next month and you're going to lose you know several players for Atlanta United if maybe some different players step up into those roles and you start to feel better at your about your depth, maybe at, for instance, the striker position with Joseph Martinez going to Venezuela. Yeah, and that's going to be the one that's going to be hardest to replace, especially if kind of the guy that we've seen slotted in when Joseph's been out, Tito Vijalba up top, you know, when he's gone too possibly for Paraguay, then, yeah. you know, then you're starting to really uh, touch your depth there and see what kind of goals you can create without some of your yeah. best goal-scoring talent. Before we go, I know we got a bunch of Frank DeBoer stuff to talk about. I just wanted to get, I mean, I think it's time, and, and Eric's not here, but we give, I mean, the season's what? We're about a third of the way through yeah, at so. this point. Uh, probably a little bit past that. Uh, what is your outlook on PT Martinez? Because we're talking about it at this point. I mean, I think there you've got enough sample size where you can make a judgment on his performance so far. Because for me, and I know like, we're, you know, we're trying to be a little more analytical and it's more nuanced than people would like to believe or, or like, you know, like to talk about. Well, things aren't always but, black and white. You know, you can't always necessarily live on one side of an issue right, or another. Totally. You, you got you got to break it down further. Totally. But I would say I would say I, I despite all that, I would say I've been pretty I would say highly disappointed in his performance this far. Even these these matches without Barco, I think what's interesting about him is that he might be a great luxury player, which means, you know, someone who's great. We have a great team around him that can feed him, but not necessarily a, a guy that you can go to and can carry a team uh, like Joseph Martinez is, although he's not, 
really comparable. It's apples and oranges. But may, hopefully what Ezekiel Barco will be to this team, what Miguel Marone was, I'm not sure P2 Martinez is that level of player. I think he's a guy that is at his best when he's not the center of attention. And then he can do the things that he does maybe when a defense is less expecting. I think he's really st- struggling in MLS where teams are clearly gunning for him, you know, hacking him, committing two or three guys to him at, at one time or another. And I think he's struggled to adapt. And it makes me wonder, like, like I said, despite the fact that he's worth so much and he's a guy that's probably going to move on to Europe, he's more of one of these kind of luxury star players who is a great player but doesn't give you the overall contributions you need to be effective unless he has a great team around him as well. Well, look, sometimes I think good players – become great players within certain systems. Uh, You know, there are so many examples of this uh, over the years. I look at a guy like in Barcelona, for example, like a Sergio Busquets, a guy who, you know, you put him on Stoke and he's probably, you know, a good player. But when you put him on Barcelona and he's got all of this wealth of talent around him, he becomes, you know, one of these all-time players just by association. So, you know, I look at a, a guy like Pitti Martinez, and I, I'll say this. We're going to get into talking about Frank DeBoer and his flexibility that a lot of people might not have predicted. Uh, one of the things, I think, in that in that flexibility is seeing a player that you brought in to play one position, realizing that's probably not his strong suit, pushing him out wide and allowing him to play much better. Because I'll say this, these, mo- these most recent games when he's played out wide and had that chance to tuck in, and, and and be sort of a, a fringer player on the outside that comes in as opposed to the guy that the play is kind of developing through, like what we think Barco is going to be when he comes back. You know, I think that the realization that Pitti looks better out there might be something that, you know, we need to further kind of delay our, uh, I guess, our thoughts on Pitti because maybe he's not going to be playing the position they brought him into play and maybe he's going to you know, start to thrive more on the outside, which is what we've seen these past few games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, really, the Frank DeBoer has shown flexibility there, as he has in other other places. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to get into this article. Uh, I think that's an example of, and everyone should go read it, uh, the article from Yahoo Sports on Frank DeBoer. Yeah, it's uh, really Leander Sherlackins is the uh, writer. And, Sherlack, uh, or Sherlackins, yeah. Shander, as I said it <laughs> yeah, Josh we went on to, air. Yeah, Josh was sharing that with me, and uh, look, I, I get it. I, look, this guy has some uh, Dutch in his background, too, so I think that you know that link right there allowed him to kind of get uh, this close in with, with Frank DeBoer, and I think at one point, uh, in the article, it even says that they, they were speaking to each other in Dutch. So, uh, obviously, I think you get more when out of an interview when you can make the interviewee more comfortable. And I'll say that, like you were saying, I think all Atlanta United fans need to read this article. It's a very, very good piece. In fact, so good that uh, maybe we can reach out to Leander and, and get him on uh, an episode of the podcast because it's very insightful. I think that more than anything, you learn so much about Frank DeBoer's process and not only his process, but this adaptation and these adjustments that he's made to a pretty rigid system of coaching that he's had in place in the past. And, and he's made a lot of changes and that seems to be why he's had some success here with Atlanta early on in his tenure. We should try to have him on because it, because it sounds like they spent some really great, you know, 
kind of in, intimate time together where he, where he shared a lot of details, both from his time, you know, at Inter and, and Crystal Palace. He said some hilarious stuff about uh, how Steve Parrish, the chairman of Crystal Palace, doesn't know football, uh, which, if you know Crystal Palace, you probably figured that out at this point, but it was funny to hear him say that. But anything from that to, to, to particularly his time with Atlanta United, and, you know, you said the word learn, Sam, and I thought, like, this article kind of, I think is a perception changer for a lot of shows that what a lot of people particularly it was for me hundred percent yeah I mean I think in terms of him not being a flexible guy of him of him not really being someone that gets along with players I mean this piece and I thought that a great story in the piece uh, anecdote that he had as example of you know how enlightening it is in terms of Deborah's process was about how the, the him putting uh, recreativo back in practice mm-hmm. which is basically. Uh, from what it's been ex- I, explained to me as a pickup game the players play uh, the day before the match. Yeah, it's the last and, uh, training session before a game. You know, the players yeah. have been having the game plan and everything in, in implemented into them all week. And it, it's just a, a time to go out and kind of, you know, loosely utilize right. the things that you've been working right. on in practice. But, but you know, kind of y- there are a lot of bicycle kicks. There are a lot of uh, crazy turns, Croix turns, Maradona turns. Uh, you know, people are trying a lot of fancy stuff. It, it's really just a way to blow off some steam from, you know, a, a hopefully long and productive work week or, or a, a string of practices leading up to a game. And that's just something that they do in South America. And obviously when you're a team chock full of South Americans and you have a South American coach, you're going to do those things. And, and it even says in the article, Frank DeBoer said he hates it, but he, but the players love it. So what matters more? And that's when you're talking about flexibility because he came from Ajax and even says here, uh, teams practice in a different way than what he'd grown up with at Ajax, where everything is so serious and tightly regimented all the time. And I talked about this when Frank DeBoer was hired by Atlanta United, the very, um, you know, pragmatic Dutch way of thinking, you know, everything is rigorous. Uh, everything is on a regiment, like tightly regiment schedule. So I think that for him to realize I can't come in here and get, take away something from these players that they are used to. It's him evolving as a coach. And while that might not have been the case at Inter Milan or Crystal Palace, I think, you know, if you don't learn to change and you don't learn to evolve and adapt, you're never going to make it as a coach. And I think this is very much a rebirth for Frank DeBoer here in Atlanta because, you know, he lost coaching the last two times he was there. And that's not something it seems like he wants to happen again. Well, that's one of the things he mentions in the article as well. And it's it's something that we know kind of figured about him coming in was that he gets to work here and doesn't have to deal with, you know, out the crazy outside pressures of coaching in the, the English Premier League or obviously for a club like Inter Milan. But I think... What's interesting about it is, you know, we talk about the flexibility. I don't think this is necessarily anything new. And I think that's what's interesting to me is Frank DeBoer was painted as a guy who was very, like we are saying, inflexible, has one way of doing things. But if you look at his managerial career, uh, first of all, he had success at, at, at Ajax and Barcelona as a player. So as a player, obviously, he was able to make the adjustment to a different culture, different league. Then as a manager, he's at Ajax as a youth as a youth coach, comes up through the – becomes the senior manager and, and does an amazing job there. So he's already ensconced in a culture that he knows and loves, so he doesn't have to be flexible there. He spends two months at Inter Milan. He spends – what was it, seven, eight matches at Crystal Palace. That's not enough time to learn if he's flexible or inflexible or not. So – at Atlanta United, where he hit that point where 
that you had struggles early on and, and, and there might have been all these outside pressures uh, that you had in your previous two stops. That wasn't the case here. He was able to work and by working, he was able to show that flexibility from anything like, like you said, Sam, to uh, reinstilling uh, or re-implementing this re recreativo uh, uh, match that we talk about that they did under Tata Martino. He, he you know, banned it and, you know, the players basically said, we want this back. And he said, even though I hate it, okay. You yeah, know, exactly. And then, you know, you just mentioned it, you know, with moving PT Martinez out wide. You've played three at the back. You've played four at the back. Uh, you've, you've won games with and without possession. So I think that Frank DeBoer has definitely shown a flexibility this season. I thought it was maybe an unfair criticism of him because you haven't, he hasn't really had time to adjust to anything in his career and show that he's flexible or not. Uh, and so I thought there was, it was a little bit unfair uh and I think maybe uh, just an easy criticism for some people to resort to when really there was just an adjustment period going on. And once he got a chance to actually coach and get involved and, and, and get to know his players over those first couple months of the season, I think you're starting to see the fruits of that now And in terms of the body language of the team looks a lot better. And that was one thing that was worrying early in the year was that you could tell, I mean, you, you knew the talent was going to get better. You knew the players, the play would be better. But looking at the first month or so, it didn't look like a happy bunch. And that's clearly changed. And this article really, really nails down why. Yeah, and I think one thing, too, is and Julian Gressel hits the nail on the head because Tata Martino was very much an overlord-type figure. He was at practice, but... Outside of practice or on games, he didn't really interact with his players, and that's the South American way. You know, the, the boss is the boss. Uh, you know, you can you have fun with them, and and, I'm, and a lot of the South American players did. You know, but at the same time, there was that differentiation between you know the the coach and the players. And Frank DeBoer seems to be much more of a manager who wants to have that yeah. relationship. And I think a lot Which of it is like surprised it, me. Well, yeah, I, I would he say seems it's, it's like such a studious, you know, but but actually he's hanging out playing cards for the players, which is great. Yeah, and I think that's part of the psychology of it, too, with him is wanting to get to know the players on that level. Uh, and I think, you know, just just having that relationship with his players. And I think it's interesting because Julian Gressel even says, look, we basically didn't have a relationship uh, with the manager uh, for the last two years, other than like on game days, and now this guy's in the lobby and trying to talk a, to us. That and wasn't stuff. a criticism. He was just no. It was different. Yeah. Right. And 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 that's what I'm saying here with Frank DeBoer. It's like I'm sure that in the beginning you talk about the team maybe not being a happy bunch and, and the chemistry not being there between what the coach was trying to get the players to do and and it actually happening. You know. I think part of it is they've got this coach like hanging out with them in the locker room in the lobby, and they're like, you know, we don't want to hang out with this narc. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like yeah, something like that. So I think – go ahead. Sorry, Sam. That's a, that's a great point, and I think because, you know, Tata Martino fit the culture that was built here. So he was able to be detached because he already coached the way the, 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 the core of the team knew, you know, the kind of South American way you alluded to. Frank DeBoer, they've had to adjust to him. He's had to, you know, fit into the culture that's already been built. And uh, so that's why, you know, you mentioned the Gressel quote of, you know, Tata. Yeah, like you called him an overlord. I think that's pretty astute. Like he was a guy who everyone respected, you know. Well, I didn't want to like, go like full like Darth Vader, like he's walking around like. No, no, but he's just someone, you know, he was definitely very vocal at training sessions. But, you know, aside from that, he was not around the players at all. And, uh, and so that's something I think is, has really benefited Frank DeBoer is that by being 
around the players, he's been able to have those com- important conversations and show flexibility that what's interesting is maybe a Tata Martino wouldn't show and maybe was a reason that he was not considered a good fit for the culture the only time he went outside of South America and managed in Barcelona. So maybe Frank de Boer is the flexible one and Tata Martino is the very smart and flexible one who was placed in the exact type of culture that, that he fit in. Yeah, because look, I don't think Tata you know, was changing a whole lot uh, from Absolutely what he wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think Tata, you're totally right. He might have been the one that, you know, stubborn the buck stops here, but it worked because he had the players and he had everything to run the system that he wanted to run. Players you know, were I, used, the players were used to doing already and wanted to do how, how right. he did things. And then the right. rest of the players were young or, or like a Michael Parker, who is the, one of the best managers they've ever played for. Yeah, and I think one thing, too, that, that's interesting is, as we kind of go through this article here, again, uh, Leander Sherlackins from Yahoo Sports highly recommended that you guys go read this article to get kind of a, a little bit more on Frank DeBoer. One thing, you know, we talked about the offer from Anderlecht that he had around the same time he had his mm-hmm. Atlanta United, and he turned down Anderlecht because he didn't want – he called them uh, Belgium's Inter Milan, you know? He was like right. – I don't want to be involved with anything right now. And I think this is why uh, Frank DeBoer is happy in Atlanta because you mentioned this earlier. He just wants to coach. He wants to get down to the bare bones, you know, brass tacks of coaching a soccer team without all of that influence that goes on. And I think Atlanta, although we do have an MLS Cup and and the pressure is certainly high and and expectations, you know, it's still MLS and it's still something where he can operate and do things uh, under not nearly as much of a microscope as he would over in Europe. And I mean, he even said, you know, he didn't want to be involved with the Anderlecht stuff. And, and the guy that they ended up hiring, a guy named Fred Rutten, uh, was fired after 13 games. So I right. mean, to say that if the board had gone there, it wouldn't have gone very similarly. And they just, uh, you know, hired Vincent Company to be their player coach there at Anderlecht. So with that, with him retiring, you kind of always knew that he would want to go back there. So again, Frank DeBoer, a shrewd businessman, and, and quite frankly, gambling on himself coming to MLS, but also realizing, yeah, I could take this cushier, uh, you know, higher profile job mm-hmm. and ultimately be back out on my butt again. So that's what kind of tells you that, again, this is a good fit for Atlanta United because he wants to get back to kind of the bare bones essentials. I mean, coach, can you imagine if he went to Anderlecht and was fired for 12 matches, he might not be able to get a job in MLS, I mean, uh, maybe Colorado or maybe Colorado or something like that. But I mean, so he, you're right. I mean, this was a critical decision for him in terms of where to go. And uh, I mean, for the reasons he said, you know, and, and you should bet on yourself as a manager, the jury's still out. I think if he is the right man for the job, uh, as always, not not as bad, not as some say, not as good as others do. Uh, but it, for him, it was definitely a good move because, like we said, the, the most success he's had is in a, is in his comfort zone, is at Ajax, you know. And I, I find Frank DeBoer to be a guy who likes to test himself outside of his comfort zone, just based on the fact that you know he wanted to go uh, to play at Barcelona. You know, from Ajax, who at that time, Ajax were a very, were a very big club. It wouldn't be like today where it would be kind of an obvious move. Um, so, and, and then he finishes uh, his career in the Middle East. So I think Frank DeBoer is a, is a guy who wanted to test himself outside of his comfort zone, uh, had so much success within his comfort zone that he kind of got put at these types of clubs uh, like an Inter, uh, like a Crystal Palace, which is, you know, 
in the Premier League battling for uh, to, for Premier League survival. Yeah, consistent have, relegation dwellers. Yeah, so if you have a bad couple of months, you're going to go. Uh, and, and then even in the Anderlecht, I, I think that he – I don't know if he came to the – I think he came to the realization that the best way for him to test himself outside his comfort zone was a place where he was going to get a, a real chance to just work on his own and find out himself that if he can do it. You know, if he can leave a place, a culture that he knows and 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 build and, and build a team and build an identity. And and uh, I think that what's interesting is I could see him being here long term, reading the reading the piece. You know, uh, because he has such an interest in building up the academy and, and 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 building a true identity from top to bottom with the club, wanting to have more involvement with the second team. Um, and just generally being more hands-on than Tata Martino was, aside from the first team. So it really makes me think that, you know, he's betting on himself, yes. But the things he's betting on are things that could be rewarding Atlanta United for three, four, five years, even forever. Because it's not just about with him, you know, developing a great team. It's implementing a system and an identity throughout the club. Uh, and, and, and that... When I hear that, it makes me think maybe this guy's going to be here four or five seasons. Yeah, and, and another great quote. This is kind of the last thing from the article. He says, uh, "I've had this is what I was talking about earlier. You know, he's lost coaching twice, and he doesn't want that to happen again. You know, you keep getting fired as a coach. Eventually, you're not going to get hired again." Uh, he says, "I've had two slip ups, so I know what that feels like. I want it to feel good again, where I have an idea that I'm executing." and that we're working towards, uh, just like it was at IX, and then we'll see. I'm not worried about my career. I'm not here for money. The most important thing is that I am enjoying myself. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully uh, the, that continues. And, and look, I think a lot of fans are probably, you know, especially ones that were, you know, DeBoer out early and stuff. Look, he called the fans spoiled, and he was right when he said it. Maybe that's a strong word, but Atlanta United fans had come to – you know, uh, expect a certain result. And unfortunately the team lost their best player and had to undergo a coaching change where the coach was pretty much changing the style dramatically. So I think, I think overall you read something like this and I think maybe you start to come back off the ledge a little bit. Yeah. But you know, Sam, I I don't want to give those people too much credit. I'm not Uh, giving them credit. Even (laughs) even saying that they're spoiled. I think it's more of a typical, fan reaction to coaches when things aren't going well there are a few things you tend to hear uh and one of them is that the manager is inflexible one of them is that he's changing things too much from from the previous manager if the manager has been successful so i think you had a lot of people just grasping at straws as to why the team was struggling and, and pointing the finger at a manager who quite frankly we don't know enough about outside of like i said those years at ajax to really know how he was going to react to things and i i go back to uh, something one of our colleagues at Dirty South Soccer, Joe Patrick, has kept repeating throughout the season that, you know, Frank DeBoer is actually this, you know, engaging, uh, f- laid back guy, you know, give, you know, really analyzes uh, your questions, gives you a long thought out answer. <laughs> but he, 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 it's almost like the fact that he's so different from Tata Martino, who was honest with you, but first of all, not giving you as long an answer, not around as much. Uh, I, it was almost like people were not noticing the obvious about Frank DeBoer, I think, which is that th- there were a lot of signs there that he could be flexible, I thought. First of all, the reason – just that he came to Atlanta United, uh, and then you l- actually looked at some of the things he was saying and the way he was analyzing the games and the performances, and it, it looked it – looked, 
to me like this was a guy that could turn things around. And I, and I, and I think some people just really missed it. Uh, and I, I think it's just because he's so different culturally than Tata Martino, you know, and because if you look at the things he was saying, I really, I, 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 I never saw any reason to believe he was inflexible. I really never saw any reason to believe that he was trying to get really far away from the Tata Martino Atlanta United. I think it comes down, as he's told us recently, he wants to control games a little bit more, which I think, you know, maybe you're a little more methodical with your possession. Maybe you're not uh, attacking vertically as as chaotic a manner, but I don't, I don't know why. I think that the people that wanted him out early uh, – we're really just making an excuse for the performances from the players. And I th- having a pretty shocking lack of foresight that between the talent <laughs> and what the manager was saying, that things would probably inevitably get better because we're not that far past, you know, that those to bore out times. And you're talking about, you know, potentially top of the East. If you're looking at points per game, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to even just say that it's just that those fans were spoiled. I think it's just that they either didn't want to uh, uh, recognize the shortcomings of the players and the, and, and the team in general, or they were unable to. Because well, well I'll also say that again. You know, he's the board's the one that used the word spoiled. So I'm just saying uh, that oh, the, totally. the fans that were taking umbrage to that are upset that he called them spoiled. It's like easy, take a step. I'm just back, saying. You know? I think these people. I think these people say Atlanta United revert. These people are like the Crystal Palace fans who are not spoiled, who are saying the same things about him that he's inflexible, that he will only play his type of system, that he's you know difficult with the media. So, so you're hearing the same type of things from a fan base that, yes, is spoiled, and a fan base that isn't. <laughs> so I think those fans, a lot of them, it's not so much that they're spoiled. It's just that that's how they're going to react to poor results for the rest of time with Atlanta United unless they wisen up uh, and, and just blame the manager for kind of these blanket set list of items. So, again, go read the article. It gives you a lot more great insight into Frank DeBoer. It'll make uh, you feel totally different about him. It really will. It really Leander really Sherlackins of Yahoo Sports, easy to find on the Internet. Uh, you know, we were talking about sort of the period of time here that Atlanta United are going to have to deal with uh, in terms of uh, Gold Cup, in terms of uh, we've already dealt with it with the U-20s and Barco being out for the uh, uh, the U-20 World Cup, and then also coming up the uh, Copa America. So this is going to be a period where attrition is going to hit Atlanta United, but maybe not as much as we thought because it's looking like the, the three big guns that we thought could be missing for Atlanta United for the Gold Cup uh, won't be. as uh, We knew Brad Guzan and Darlington Nagby uh, did not get called into the camp, and now we know that for the friendly against Jamaica that precedes the World Cup, that's actually going to be played the tonight. Gold Cup. Yes, or, excuse me. Yes, the Gold Cup. Um, <laughs> I get them all confused. Flashbacks on to our World Cup podcast. That's right, yes. And uh, this is the first time you and I are actually doing a show just us uh, So uh, since then. So certainly interesting. But uh, yes, getting to the, uh, the Gold Cup, uh, Darlington Nagby, not going to be there. Brad Guzan, not going to be there. And Miles Robinson not going to be there because he's not yeah. going to be in that uh, squad against Jamaica uh, for that friendly tonight, which is again, Wednesday. So uh, not really going to be affected that much by the goal cup other than Romario Williams being gone. Uh, not really what we thought was going to happen kind of going into the season. 
yeah, I mean, we're thinking these two months between, you know, Barco going to the U-20s, and at that time we were thinking Carlton and Bello as well uh, going to the U-20s, losing these guys for Gold Cup, then losing these guys for Copa America in July. Uh, turns out it's just more good. So you're going to be, you missed Barco a lot, but you got results when he was gone. And then July is going to be a tough one because, as we mentioned earlier, you're going to be losing the likes of a Joseph Martinez, possibly a Tito Villalba, uh and others. So I, it's looking like it's not going to have that much of a negative impact on the squad in June, though. Uh, I, but I do feel, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge supporter of. Well, no, I support U.S. Men's National Team. I don't follow <laughs> Spirit. I don't now that Slaves United has come into play, <laughs> it's like our, our focus has kind of switched, and it's sort of weird when you have that, yeah, I want the U.S. to do well, but don't take Atlanta United players. You know what I mean? So right. it's kind of like we didn't have this before, but now we have this kind of duality thing going and, on. And I feel like uh, – and I'm totally open to someone saying you're totally wrong that follows these players closely, but I feel like Miles Robinson is, is, is really getting the short end of the stick i mean well, i feel that if, way too and i don't know gonna, if that's just us with atlanta united glasses on or something but i mean you look at the the players that are probably going to make it and, i mean you know there's a possibility that omar gonzalez is going to be on this roster and it's just like why omar gonzalez over miles robinson and it's, you know because even if you rate omar gonzalez you know what you're going to get from him you, meanwhile you have someone in miles robinson who, who uh who is you know uh, playing the best we've seen him you know he's a guy that should be you know you should have all kinds of alarm bells going off on your radar at this point of a world cup cycle about a guy like miles robinson where yeah you want to win gold cup but it's really more out about trying new players and trying to round into form uh for, for qualifying which doesn't start for you know over another year so why would you not bring a player like miles robinson or at least try him in this friendly because he was in the provisional squad uh, and, and instead go with, for instance, a Matt Miazga, uh, who, yeah, you could still take him on the on the Gold Cup roster, but why is he perhaps a player like that starting tonight or getting minutes tonight instead of a Miles Robinson, who's a player that you should be desperate to see, I think, if you're a Greg Berhalter. Surely he knows he's playing well. And like I said, this is the perfect time to try guys like this in a competitive environment and see what you can get from them at the international level. As a fan of the U.S. Women's National Team, I'm livid with Greg Berhalter for not including Miles Robinson. Well, he's the future of the back well, you're line. An, you're an actual fan, unlike me. So, I'll, I'll, well, no, but but like, I'm not done. Like, you got to let me finish. So, as okay. as a as a fan of the U.S. Women's National Team, and we all know Josh is a communist who doesn't support the United States. That's so, uh, <laughs> so as a fan of of the uh, the Yanks, that. yeah, as a fan of the Yanks, uh, look. He should be on the team. He's He might be the best center back on form that could be chosen for the U.S. men's national team. I mean, off the top of your head, give me a center back that's playing better than him that's eligible for selection for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, I mean, in, I mean, I think you could. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're having I mean, a hard time. Uh, He's yeah, certainly in right, the discussion. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So the Bruce fact didn't that have a great season. Uh, no. So we're the, not saying he's better than those guys, but, right but on form. Wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On form. It's ridiculous that he's not being selected or at least it doesn't look like he'd be, it'd be very, 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 very hard to see if he did not playing in this Jamaica game that he would get selected. So I, I, ju- I just think that again, it's a vast oversight by Burhalter 
and some players who may be living off past reputation uh, getting into this lineup. And that's something with the U.S. men's national team that's been a problem for a long time, uh, the past reputation. I mean, Michael Bradley's probably going to make this. It's time for Michael Bradley to stop putting on the U.S. men's national team shirt. I don't know how many times I have to say it. I don't know how many times a lot of people have to say it. But that time has come and gone. But rounding this all back out, Josh, as an Atlanta United fan, I'm ecstatic that Miles Robinson yeah, is not going to the U.S. <laughs> national team to yeah. you know deal with all that crap, the politics, and everything that comes along with that. I'm glad that he could just focus on Atlanta United. So that's what I talk about with this duality sort of, you know, you pull for both. But ultimately for Atlanta United, it's probably better that they get to keep Miles Robinson around and, and that he doesn't have to worry about the Gold Cup and he can just focus on being an Atlanta United player and get rest right now. Yeah. We'll take the MLS Cup over the Gold Cup any day. So, uh, well, yeah, as an Atlanta United fan, the I'm Gold cool Cup with all of this. Yeah. No, if it's a World Cup, be different. Yeah, then I would I would probably actually want him to go in Atlanta. It's an interesting topic for maybe another podcast. You know, if that's a possibility, is you know, do, do you want them to go and and you know kind of represent Atlanta United on the world stage? I say absolutely, but the Gold Cup is you know Belize and stuff like that. So that's right. So every four years, three years and eleven months of it, Josh is a communist, and then one month. Exactly. Your cycle, he's a proud patriot. Exactly, so, exactly. That's how Josh does things. No, I, um, I agree with everything here. So, <laughs> ultimately, look, I, I'm, I think the Gold Cup is treating Atlanta United a lot better. Uh, Romario Williams hopefully goes and scores some goals for Jamaica and feels good about himself because he's not getting that time with Atlanta United, really, other than, you know, garbage time minutes. And I hope for him that he can go uh, have a good time with Jamaica. But, you know, again, other than that, the Gold Cup isn't affecting Atlanta United. And plus, MLS does take this break anyway. But, you know, this could be time where your players are having to go play in the Gold Cup. And now Brad Guzan, Darlington Nagby, Miles Robinson, they're going to get rest as opposed to having to go play another tournament. So uh, ultimately, that's probably good for Atlanta United. And going to impact negatively a lot of your competitors. So this this month, hopefully of June, a chance for Atlanta United to, uh, with Barco coming back and it being you know more or less the only team at 100%. I wouldn't say the only, but one of the only teams not really significantly impacted by Gold Cup in terms of missing players in their starting 11. You've got a month of June where Atlanta United can maybe really start to control the, like we talked about earlier, come full circle, you know, really start to control the tempo, dominate matches, and, uh, and, and get some space in between themselves and the rest of the Eastern Conference. All right, we'll wrap things up here in a minute, but while we're on the U.S. men's national team subject, I guess we can uh, preview that with uh, Josh the Communist. Um, <laughs> U.S. men's national sure. team yeah, going into the Gold Cup. I think we've started something here without Eric. I think we're just going to start calling uh, you You can Josh call me Josh the Commie. That doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> but uh, the U.S., you know, the, the roster has to be finalized. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday, June 5th. It'll it'll probably be published uh, sometime on Thursday. Uh, so I would assume that when this is all said and done, we'll, you know, we'll have a roster. We've kind of talked about it already, but no Atlanta United players. I think the, the thing that this bothers me the most is like, you know, if you're going to continue to put Michael Bradley in, I, that's the one where it seems like, and, and look, Josie Altador is back in the fold here. And I think he still can provide some things in terms of being a very good goal-scoring talent. But it seems like with most of this roster or provisional roster, 
because you know I'm I'm looking at the 28 players that are on the roster for this Jamaica game. That's not the 23 final guys that are going to be for the U.S. Uh, in the Gold Cup. But you see, you know, it's like everything else looks like they're moving on except for Michael Bradley and Omar Gonzalez. Like those two names, it's like all right, you might as well. But Josie, at least, you know, as a striker, I think you can hang on a little longer, particularly in the mold True. of coming in to try to get a late goal with like 10 minutes or whatever left in the game. Whereas, you know, I don't see much use for a Michael Bradley or an Omar Gonzalez at this well, point. in their also, Yeah, I mean, uh, look, if Michael Bradley is able to stay at the level he is now and he's arguably one of the best three uh, center mids for the U.S. men's national team in the next World Cup, Okay, but in the Gold Cup in 2019, you should be playing what you should be playing the crap out of Weston McKinney, out of you know Georgie Mihalovic, you know you you should, uh, even out of Will Trapp, who's not a young guy but he's a new guy, right. you know can connect some passes, maybe can play that six role uh, that Bradley was kind of mis uh, mismanaged into. Uh, so even if you do rate Michael Bradley, just not, this is not a time to chart him out. You know, every match. This is a time where there's not a ton of pressure on you. There's going to be another Gold Cup in two years. Uh, you know, you don't have to. He doesn't have to be on the roster. And if he is, I hope he's not a guy you're seeing start every match. And you know, maybe you're you're giving a look to some of the other younger midfielders to see what they can do, because you want to have a better idea of what you have when you go into quals. When you know when you go into qualifying, and you're not going to. You know what you have in Michael Bradley. You, you I'd say know. at this point, though, that Darlington Nagby should be playing that Michael Bradley role of more of a veteran-type presence because, look, he's younger. I think he has much more to provide this national team. I, th- look, going back and sort of putting back my U.S. men's national team fan hat on, I would much rather see Darlington Nagby on the roster than Michael Bradley. Going back to Atlanta United, yeah, that's fine. You, he, he can stay with us, and yeah, you can go off and play in the Gold Cup all you want. But that one was weird. I thought Nagby would be a part of this roster for sure, and him not is kind of a head-scratcher to me. Yeah, yeah. One interesting one, though, tonight, I look for Dwayne Holmes, Columbus, Georgia native. Uh, he, he's over with Darby County right now. That'll be an interesting uh, one to watch tonight. Certainly, certainly that. So I, I think expectation-wise for, for this tournament, I, quite frankly, I don't really have any expectations. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, we saw— go to we, the final. I think you should always expect him to go to the final and go. Well, of Cup. course, but I mean, you know, we we saw the disaster in the Georgia Dome uh, at a Gold Cup where the USA I lost. Do, to yes. Jamaica. Uh, you know, I remember actually being at that, that game. That was about and, the time I became a communist and stopped supporting. That's right. Yes, when they lost right in front of your eyes, okay. uh, just a, a very painful loss there. So it's the Gold Cup. I mean, quite frankly. I don't really have too much interest in this other than, like you said, I'll I'll keep an eye on things. If the U.S. advance, maybe I'll watch some of these games. But for right now, I, I think that most importantly, it's experimentation. And I think that's what Greg Berhalter needs to realize is that you've got to start putting some of these guys into maybe positions that they're uncomfortable with to see what sort of roster and, and what the best collection of these guys is going to be going forward because uh newsflash the usa didn't make the last world cup so uh it's not like playing some of these older players is is going to do anything to help you out no so you already know you need an influx of you're already uh, old in the last cycle you know you've seen a lot of players move on so you got to be looking for new guys right i mean because you're going to need them to to plug in those holes and obviously 
need them to do a much better job than the last time around. Certainly, certainly hope so. Uh, so that'll be it for this episode of the Mouths of the South podcast. Uh, don't forget uh, patreon.com uh, slash MOTS podcast. Uh, if you want to donate or become a patron, uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. It helps us, uh, you know, put on all of this content. Uh, you can always catch us. Uh, there wasn't one this week, obviously, uh, because Eric was out of town. But you can catch us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on Atlanta Sports X, the Mouse of the South radio show. And uh, you can also catch us on our YouTube page. Uh, just search Mouths of the South on YouTube. You'll see our logo there. That's where we uh, do our live streams on uh, most Wednesday nights. And also, that's where you can find uh, Talking Tactics. Uh, Josh, you just had one come out pretty recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did a, I did a uh, article for – yeah, and you can still find on Dirty South Soccer. It's pretty game-specific to beating Minnesota. They came out with a back five. We overload them in wide areas. Uh, and, it, of course, that's something that you can use going forward. If, we, if we're playing a team against the back five, you can revert back to that article and yet you'll know how that we should go about attacking it so uh yeah if you're interested in in looking at that get to it and there'll be obviously much much more of that uh throughout the season yeah and don't forget if you're looking for us on itunes uh we have moved uh where you find us uh you just have to go type dirty south soccer into your uh you know your store thing there and uh subscribe to it it'll just say dirty south soccer uh, for Atlanta United, you know, you, you'll easily be able to find it for Atlanta United FC fans. And, uh, yeah, we're right there. So that's all you got to do. Uh, find and subscribe and, you know, you'll be, you'll be good to go. So that's how you get, uh, all of our episodes. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Josh, you got anything else to add here before we get up and get out? No, it's, I mean, it's, it's been forever. It's going to be crazy to be in studio with you guys, uh, next week at, I, I, you know, I haven't been around for a while. It's good to be back. Yeah, it, it'll be good to, to have the gang all back together. So for Josh, uh, at JoshB914 on Twitter, I'm Sam, at Sam J. Franco. Follow us at MOTS Podcast and Dirty South Soccer for all your Atlanta United needs. DirtySouthSoc.com. Back next week with another episode of the Mouths of the South Podcast right here on DirtySouthSoccer.com.